Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Web3 Business Podcast, helping you navigate the future of business. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Web3 Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'm going to be joined by Justin Vogel. And we're going to talk about building a Web3 focused business. He's got a really unique perspective, and I think you're absolutely going to love it. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. Hey, we are celebrating one year of this podcast today. So I just want to thank you so much for listening. You are one of thousands of people who listen every single week to this show. I'm super grateful for you, and I'm committed to continue this show. So thank you so much. By the way, if you're new to the show, just be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss any of our future content because we've got some amazing guests coming up. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Justin Vogel. Helping you to simplify your Web3 journey, here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Justin Vogel. If you don't know who Justin is, he's founder of one of the top growth Web3 communities focused on marketers and founders. He's co-founder of Safari Club, spelled with a Y, a leading platform for Web3 growth leaders. Justin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, Michael. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to have you today. Justin and I are going to explore how to build a Web3 focused business. But before we go there, I want to hear your story. Like, How the heck did you get into Web3? Start wherever you want to start. My background, I actually graduated college as a Middle Eastern studies major, and I was always fascinated by communities and different cultures and how you build culture and organizations and, and different groups. And I had the really good fortune of joining a really early stage startup right out of college. It was a small mock interview platform for software engineers, and I built their marketplace from the ground up. And we were doing something at the time that would be described as community-like growth, though it wasn't community-like growth at the time. We were building a community of developers to help them practice interviews together, and that really became the secret sauce of our business. And the company was later acquired by Lyft, and after that time, I went on to a new marketplace called Winolo. It's basically Uber for warehouse workers where I was leaving all programmatic advertising, building out the company's first experimentation platform and managing a team of 13. And after those experiences, I left to uh, become a founder. And I dove into Web3 this time last year and was really obsessed with DAOs and thinking about what the future of community building looks like. 
just so we're clear, because people might be listening to this in the future, this time last year is when exactly did you start that journey? Was that in 2021, December-ish? Yeah. Okay. So the end of 2021, November, December time, yep. height of the bull market is when I got into the space. Yeah, when the frenzy was literally at its peak. Okay, cool. So keep going. So what brought you in? Why did you decide to go into that space? So we originally were coming from the HR tech space in Web2 is where me and my co-founder started. And obviously that's a very saturated space. And we started to think, you know, what does the future of work look like beyond Web2 into where a lot of the future is for DAOs and these other types of new organizations that are yet to be formed. And although we didn't continue on the, the work front, we became deeply obsessed with community building and thinking about what the future of growth looks like in Web3 and beyond. So we created the first community of Web3 growth leaders to answer many of these questions, like what are the growth strategies and challenges that Web3 businesses have today? What are the monetization models, new and old, that they'll use to grow their business? And what is the tech stack that these companies will use to grow in the future? And it started as a, a great group of 40 of us from across the, the web, across the world, Web3 growth leaders and early stage Web3 founders answering many of these questions. And we've slowly grown our ranks to being 300 of the top Web3 growth leaders from 200 different Web3 companies. So that's a little bit about us on the community side. And we've also built a business around this as well to build the future of marketing attribution in Web3 helping companies understand which of their marketing channels are driving results and why. Why did you decide to go and focus on a community specifically around Web3? And how did you go about doing it? Like share a little bit about in the early days, how did you do that exactly? Did you use Web2 tools? Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, so our, our community really started as Group 40. And before that point in time, I actually, so December of last year, I had explored a lot of different Web3 communities and I hadn't found my community. And that was a little you know, sad and depressing, honestly. And so I was really thinking about like, what would my ideal community look like per se? And coming from my Web2 growth background, I was like, I would really love if there was a community of Web3 growth leaders to talk to for me as an early stage Web3 founder and growth person to really jam on what does the future look like and what are the strategies people are using now and really nerd out on those types of things. So, you know, I was basically building a community for myself was the first part. And then I started reaching out to Web3 growth leaders on LinkedIn saying, just asking them if they wanted to chat and share Web3 growth strategies and, and talk about Web3 growth, which wasn't really being talked about publicly at that time. Like there weren't really good resources on it. So I think that naturally drew people in just to talk one-on-one. -on -one. And so I talked to about 10 people and people were very interested for the, many of the same reasons that I was in this theoretical community. And through posting on LinkedIn, you know, hey, we're starting the first Web3 growth community. This is what it'll entail. We actually end up getting 150 people to be interested in our community. And from there, we, we whittled it down to our first group of 40. So I think that a lot of people, the concept of starting a community seems really daunting to many people because they think they've seen these very large communities. Oh my gosh, how am I going to manage that? And so many different, like, how do I get that many people? But I think that Safari is a great example of, I only needed to talk to 10 people and get those 10 people to be on board with, you know, this theoretical idea and refashion what that might look like. And then more people came and we grew slowly and gradually over time to create this really great community. When we were meeting before, uh, you were telling me that you have an application process and not everybody gets through the door. And 
Tell us a little bit about the strategy behind that. So a little bit of the strategy behind that is twofold. One, the main strategy in the beginning was I'm a solo person building this community. I want to build something that's really high value for those that are involved, but doesn't take up a ton of my time as the builder. And obviously, it's a lot easier to provide value to a small group of people than a really large group of people when you're just one person. We started gating it just for for that reason, uh, to create that FOMO, uh, to be in it, but also just to make it more manageable to drive a really high value and utility for a small group of influential people. And so that's why we we gated it and and still continue to gate it, is now we're a group of 300 and we've had a little over almost 2,500 Web3 growth leaders have applied. But the utility of being a member of our community would look very different if we accepted all like 2,000, 3,000 of them versus staying really small with a tight-knit group of people. Yeah, and just share a little bit about what you do inside that community because I think people might find that interesting. So we do two things primarily. One is we every every time we have a new batch of people, so we have this application process that rolls up into people all joining at the same time. And when those people join at the same time, we actually match them one-on-one individually with other people from their group, from their cohort. So we want Web3 growth leaders to know each other and get to meet each other from around the world. That's one aspect, which also drives a lot of interconnectivity within our community. And the second thing is that every week we have a weekly call where we curate different Web3 growth leaders directly from our community to talk about their growth strategies and challenges per company that they're involved with. So it's really about growth leaders learning from each other about what are they seeing across different verticals and doing in terms of their growth strategies. You kind of hinted a little earlier that you're working on some stuff. I don't know what you can say, but if you can kind of share a little bit of it, that'd be cool. So on the product front, we have built a marketing attribution system, one of the first for Web3. This For many of you in the audience that are Web2 marketers, this is like, seems very table stakes, I'm sure, to hear like, Okay, Justin, like attribution existed with Google Analytics and with AppsFlyer and others. But we're really in a new moment with the blockchain is that there's no Web3 attribution system that exists today. So people don't know how the marketing activities that they're doing are driving results, whether they are or they're not. And so that really prevents a lot of people from spending and, and meaningfully scaling their growth, which is why we're seeing a lot more on the community-led growth side. But that's quickly changing. And so we see ourselves as enabling people to start spending and enabling growth at scale. Very cool. So there are plenty of entrepreneurs and marketers listening and creators listening to the show that are heavily versed in the world of Web2, but are cautiously optimistic or curious about Web3. From your perspective, why should they consider Web3? What's the benefits? What are the upside, in your opinion, that Web3? I think there are really two big benefits today for a builder or an operator. One is the space is still small. It's very nascent. And the people that are here are very well connected with each other. And if you're you know, newer in your, your industry, that gives you a lot of potential for value to accrue to you as a thought leader. So like, take me, for example. I dove into Web3 this time last year, and now I'm one of the most well-connected people in the Web3 growth space in sub one year. For me to become an expert in SEO or any of the other Web2 major topics or sub-niches would take me like the next five years, and I, I still wouldn't make it. There are still way more people that are much more knowledgeable about those types of things since those industries have been around for so much longer. So there's a great opportunity for you to accelerate your career as a growth leader 
in Web3 because the space is evolving so quickly and getting to know people who are here at this point in time who will shape the future of growth in the next 10 years. What about entrepreneurs or builders? You know, What's your take on that side of the occasion? I agree with you completely that it's like a greenfield opportunity for marketers because there's, there's a lot of need for marketing in the world of Web3 because there's so many technical people who don't know the first thing about marketing, right? From an entrepreneurial perspective, what's your take on maybe why someone might want to consider getting into this space? I think that it's it's very similar on the builder side too. Like take, for example, my field, which is we're in, you know, web three marketing technology. Right now in web two marketing technology, there are over ten thousand companies doing a whole range of different things and the stack is very sophisticated. So if you were wanted to start a web two marketing technology company today you'd probably be taking the existing model and improving, you know, 15% on it and then trying to convince a bunch of people to swap over. And those are really hard businesses to build in a saturated space, which is a web two marketing or any other space, a productivity tool, whatever space that might be for you, especially for B2B SaaS versus web three, there are around a hundred teams building, trying to build what is going to be the web three marketing technology space today. So there's a, a green fields of opportunity there as well to think about, you know, what is what is the next HubSpot going to look like? If you're trying to build HubSpot in Web2 today, probably nearly impossible that you become the next HubSpot. But within a new business environment and context, you have a much bigger opportunity to create a long lasting business. So I'd say the business opportunities are bigger and there's more green space and design space for you to create entirely new businesses. Well, and also there's... <laughs> I don't know how to say this, but people are a little more forgiving if it doesn't work in this space because nothing sometimes works in this space, right? <laughs> yeah, you know? you're definitely hinting at the, the the challenges as well, right? Is that yeah. because there's so much infrastructure that hasn't been built out, it's hard to make some tools work when you're like, well, we want to be a CRM, but there aren't that great messaging platforms at this point in time. So what are we really connecting into? Right. So there's there's definitely blessings and curses of being early to a market. And, you know, the other side of it is it's not as big of a market either. So it, you could very rapidly dominate a marketplace here. If you get to market first and you get enough adoption, all of a sudden the whole industry can be touting and singing your praises, which is exactly what happened with like OpenSea and a lot of the other platforms that were early adopters. So let's talk about your strategy, because you've got obviously so many people that are builders and marketers inside the Safari Club, and you guys are meeting every week and you're having interactions and talking. What's your strategy for building a Web3 focused business? Obviously, you're doing it. There's others that are considering doing it. What What do we need to be thinking about? So I think that both for B2C, but particularly for B2B, community first businesses will win the day. Oh, you know what? You know what? I realized I, I skipped a question. Let me back up the train here because before we go there, let's start with talking about Web 2 versus Web 3, because I'm very familiar with marketing in Web 2. You're very familiar with marketing in Web 2. Many of our listeners are very familiar with marketing in Web 2, and you kind of hinted at this a little bit, but marketing in Web 3 is completely different, right? And building a business in, in Web 3. So I apologize for going out of order, but let's back the train up a little bit and talk about what do people need to know about Web3 that's completely different. You know, your company is called Safari Club for a reason. It's a jungle out there. So <laughs> talk to us a little bit about like what we need to know and what are what doesn't work in Web3 that does work in Web2. I appreciate you hinting on our brand's identity as well as we, we very much thought from the beginning, like Safari is helping growth leaders understand the wild Web3 and navigate the wild web three, because it is very much a jungle out there today to try and understand everything that's going on. 
You know, when I think about the big differences between Web 2 and Web 3 growth is that Web 2 growth is very well understood. I mean, it makes sense is that in every single way, it's understood in terms of the tech stack, it's understood in terms of the user journey. And when, especially when we think about the user journey, we have Web 2 channels like social media channels that you pay for, for ads and others that you have, that you own. And you're really trying to drive traffic to your first party application whether it's your mobile app or your website to get people to buy your coffee beans for, from your coffee bean company or anything else. But Web3 is very different and it's, it's very interesting to see how these businesses look. So for example, like an NFT collection, many of them might not have a first party product like we expect in, in Web2. So for example, they might only operate on third party platforms. For example, they would engage people and have their top of funnel on Twitter. Then they would nurture people and engage people on Discord. And then people would buy their NFT on OpenSea. So they would never need a first-party application. And stitching together the data between multiple third-party products is very difficult and interesting. And there are new challenges that come from these types of interactions. So a lot of what we see in Web3 today is people using old channels in new ways. I don't think Discord was meant to be built as like the mid funnel for a whole you know, industry of businesses, but that is how a lot of Web3 companies are using Discord today. And new challenges arise with using old channels in new ways. And then there are also just completely new channels that are being built like Web3 ad networks that look very much like a Web2 ad network, but are on new real estate. So those are some of the interesting new challenges that uh, we face in terms of, you know, what does the user journey look like? It's not anymore just that you're sending traffic from a channel to your, your app. It can be you're only existing in third-party channels, or it could be some combination that we're still not yet understanding because we don't have a, a good sense of what the user journey looks like in Web3. You mentioned Web3 ad networks, which is something I don't think I've heard before. Are we talking about metaverse ads or what are we talking about exactly when we say that? It's a range. A lot of it is, you know, there's been a lot of pushback from Google ad networks and Facebook and others against crypto projects. And so crypto projects have had to go look elsewhere for uh, running ad networks. So some of the real estate that's out there for crypto specifically is like, EtherScan, where people look up token prices, token transactions that have happened on the blockchain in a more readable format. That's ad real estate. There's big coin prices like Coin Market Cap is one of the most trafficked websites on the on the internet today. Not even just for crypto, and they also have great ad real estate. Then there's also ad real estate within specific uh, decentralized applications, just like there would be in any other application out there. So it's a Web3 ad networks are primarily uh, putting ad real estate where Web3 users are or likely to be today. Yeah, and it, it seems as if most of this is display advertising, really, right? Like in a lot of these things, we're talking about little graphics or little text advertising, right? On websites, if you will, that are providing information. That's kind of what we're looking at right now, mostly, right? Definitely, yes. But there's also, I'd say, apart from ad networks, what we see in the metaverses is much more like brand activation. So like, Nike working with the sandbox to do XYZ and putting, you know, creating experience within those metaverses. That hasn't truly become like plug and play yet. So we're really talking about like display ads for these ad networks. Yeah. And we had a gal on the show that worked for Anheuser-Busch for Stella Artois 
I think is how you say the name. And uh, they worked with Zed Run, you know, to come out with Stella branded NFTs and stuff like that, which is a little less advertising and a more like strategic partnership kind of stuff, but very fascinating. So now back to the question that I asked earlier, which is if we're going to build a business that is Web3 focused, what ought our strategy be? So this is where things largely differ from Web2 as well. In Web2, you can be a coffee bean company and spin up a landing page and start driving ads to that landing page to get traffic and get conversions and have people start buying your product. But in Web3, people are more resistant to that in the earliest stages. And so what we see a lot of Web3 businesses do is building community first, creating a small group of people who really care about that, that product or that project and want to see it succeed and want to share it with their friends. And once brands in Web3 reach a certain level of social standing and social proof, then they're at the point where they're able to start pouring fuel on the fire with ads and other forms of paid digital media. So we see a little swap here and that you can't do paid ads from the beginning, but it becomes more of a later stage strategy once your business has reached a certain point in time, which I think is actually very beneficial for new incumbents in the Web3 space is that you can't just like win by spinning up a coffee bean company and having $100 million in the bank and then like pouring fuel in the fire from day one. This really favors the authentic builders. They're trying to build for a very specific segment and build trust with them from the earliest days. And that's where a lot of new incumbents actually have advantages over old incumbents in the space. So I think that's yet another reason why Web3 founders should be considering Web3 is that they as indie studios for gaming are seeing, or even just founders in other areas, they have strong advantages from the beginning and are fighting for the same types of people with larger businesses that don't have the, the scale advantages yet. Let's address the why on this community concept, right? I mean, so many people in social marketing are familiar with community, but um, when it comes to Web3, why is this community first concept so important? I think it's a couple of things. One, it's it's touching on this aspect of what is the role of paid media today in our larger world. And a lot of companies are seeing customer acquisition costs rise drastically. And this is even more difficult for Web3 companies to approach, given that they have onboarding flows that aren't that great yet, right? So the costs are even that much more astronomical. And so they've had to adapt a little bit quicker to a new changing world than a lot of the Web2 businesses that exist today. And so community, I think that's driving a lot of people towards the community-led growth movement. But it's also that, you know, at this point in time, Web3 is still largely small enough for many of the, the most important users to fit around the campfire together. Things are moving very quickly. And so it is very much a retention game of those top users. So it's a combination of we've seen how the Web2 game played out of like acquisition at all costs, like you get explosive growth. And then from there, incentives, like you just pay for users like crazy and then that doesn't work. So then you start like focusing on retention. And I think that people skipped those stages in Web3 were, were very fast, right? Like, okay, you can airdrop and then like, boom, that was like a three-month strategy. Okay, now we do these incentives, like three-month strategy. Now that's saturated. Now we like go to retention. So saw the basis of Web2 in like a year and a half. And now it's like back to the retention differentiation strategies, which are where community like growth wins the day. Something that's unique to Web3 that isn't a problem in Web2 is the liquidity, the ease of which someone could flip out of a community, right? Because 
so many of the communities are based on um, either tokens or NFTs. And um, by its very nature, one of the benefits of these is the resale option for a consumer. So if they don't get a lot of value out of it, they could sell it above or below the asking price. And that is great from a consumer perspective, because when I join, uh, pay an annual fee to join an organization, if I don't use it, it's my bad, you know, it's lost. But if I do the same thing in the world of Web3, I can sell it the next week if it's not what I thought it was. And that means businesses need to work a little harder to retain people, right? That retention strategy we're talking about. And that's where community is really, really the masterful angle of it that so many of these projects get wrong. What's your thoughts on that? No, I completely agree. I think that you know what we're seeing with Web3 today are very early and soon to be very sophisticated brand loyalty strategies, right? These are what every Web2 company should be focusing on today, but haven't yet because the things that they're doing are still kind of working, but they won't be working soon, especially when cookies get phased out. And so Web3 companies and the growth strategies that they're deploying are very savvy on this these retention aspects. How do we drive retention? How do we drive brand loyalty with the most important companies and customers for our business? And that's what I think that they're they're really getting right. And not just that, but how do they layer on more unique experiences for members of their most valuable members to come together and create experiences together, which is unique by default as well, right? Like not just how do I create a great experience for Michael, who's my power user, but how do I get Michael and Justin to, to get together and create an amazing experience together that was facilitated by a brand? And that becomes a lot more unique and defensible and drives a lot of more brand loyalty. Yeah. And then there's also the word of mouth side of this, right? Which is if you can make someone feel something really valuable, maybe that they're not experiencing in the Web2 world, that not only are they going to retain, but they're also going to evangelize you right and tell others about you which by its very nature is the best form of marketing there is right yeah no exactly and i i think really where we're headed you know which is not a web3 concept but is is being used by a lot of web3 organizations is this aspect of how can a brand facilitate a group a meaningful group experience between their customers with alternative value props that drive that brand loyalty and so one of the things that we study and that we talk about a lot in Safari is actually WeChat marketing in China. Looks like I think what I see happening there today, I think will happen for the rest of the world in the next like three years that will be at that scale. And one tangible example, which I think is very easy to understand, this is a Web2 company, right? It's not a Web3 Chinese company, is there's a large travel company in China that Whenever there are people booking an international trip to a certain place, they ask them if they want to be part of a group chat of other travelers going to the same destination around the same time. And in that group chat, they have a sales rep that can answer their questions. And, you know, that's great. That provides value. But what they see is that as soon as that trip begins for a lot of those people, different group members will be interacting with each other like, oh, how's the weather in this place? Like, should I go there? What what place did you go to? And even people meeting up in person, who wants to get dinner tonight in this place? I'm going to this area. And then that becomes like a really amazing experience that this brand was able to facilitate between their customers with a very like low effort experience. Like if I had met you, Michael, through being on this group trip that we both like went to Singapore together, that would make definitely raise my affiliation towards this travel brand. 
And I think that we'll see more experiences like that. I really see Web3 as pioneering those types of group-led experiences facilitated by brands. I think we'll see more of in the, in the future to drive this retention of brand loyalty. So we've done a great job of explaining the value proposition of this community first concept in the world of Web3. What are some of the things we need to be thinking about, some of the first steps maybe that we ought to take if we want to try to employ a community first model for a business? I think it's twofold. I think that what I see today is community first companies and emphasis on first and not community driven companies are a lot more successful than community driven companies. When you create a community before you create a company, you have a lot more authentic brand building and storytelling that happens and people are are joining this community as a group of people coming together before there's a potential for an ulterior motive. And I think that like an ulterior motive being like a product that you're selling. And I think that that drives a lot more affinity towards those communities. Community-driven companies can still do it successfully as well, but I think that they have to really focus early on on driving high utility for their members and really making it less so about their products and experiencing the brand effects later. So when I think about community-like growth today, I really think about it as like an SEO strategy. You have to invest a lot upfront to reap the benefits at a later point in time. And the way that a lot of one great community and growth leader mentioned to me recently, he said, you know, we think about our community as 90% trust building and 10% trust spending. And in Web2, Web we're very used to just spending trust like nobody's business on ads and other networks. But you really have to flip it on your head that if you want to create a very successful community-driven business, you need to exist to help your community members achieve their own goals. And you reap the brand network effects of that by being this trusted source. But if you're constantly trying to like show your products within your community, you're probably not going to create a, a great community environment. Do you have any thoughts on how to actually find a community? I mean, I know you went out on LinkedIn and used good old fashioned web two tools. If we're starting from scratch here, which some people listening are, how in the world do they even find an audience? I think you can absolutely find an audience through talking to a few different people, whether it's on LinkedIn or on Twitter. Twitter DMs can be very powerful, especially as you build up your personal brand. And I think that maybe that's actually where, where we start is I actually never had a Twitter before I entered Web3. And I never had a personal brand before I entered Web3. But those things are really important when you become a founder. And that's a great place to start. And so how I started before we started building the community, before we started building the business, was starting to share my thoughts on Twitter. And those listening know it's extremely daunting to create original content and put it out there as yourself. That plagued me for many years and stopped me from sharing a lot of my thoughts over the years on different topics that I was aware of. But how I got started, which is a lot less personal, but still creates value, is I would read Web3 articles on different topics that were long-form content, and I'd summarize them as threads on Twitter as short-form content. And I would tag the author and that helped me get new reach. They appreciated it and would share it because they're like, wow, this person is like bringing new audiences to my content. And that became a really easy way for me to also educate myself on the market and grow alongside it. I was able to, you know, they say that your first thousand followers are your hardest to get. It took me about three months to get to my first thousand. And this was starting from scratch. I started actually as an anonymous Twitter user. So I wasn't Justin Vogel on Twitter. I was just Jakey, which was my 
a pseudonym. And that also made it a lot less personal for me to like put my thoughts out there and then make the transition later on to like, okay, I've established an audience and they want to know me as Justin, not just as the pseudonymous identity. Do you recommend being anonymous nowadays or do you feel like that those days are gone? What's your thoughts on that? I think that those days are largely gone for at least this moment. I don't know whether that's like a bull market versus a bear market thing and like how things are today. I think though that it's it was really powerful for me personally to start as a non to build my confidence in a new space. And also because, you know, when I first dove in, frankly, I didn't know that I wanted to build my personal brand around Web3 if it didn't work out, right? And so I also, you know, made that transition once I was confident that this is the space that I wanted to stay in. So I think that's also another great option for those listening in that are Web2 marketers or Web2 founders to, you know, this is a great way to dabble. Start building a personal brand as a pseudonymous identity on Twitter, sharing your thoughts on Web3, meeting people. And then when you're ready to flip the switch, flip the switch and be you. Very cool. So let's say we're starting by producing content, like you mentioned, and nurturing relationships inside of Twitter DMs, for example, or in the comments. You could do the same thing on any platform, I would imagine. It doesn't have to be Twitter. It could be Facebook. It could be LinkedIn. It could be YouTube. Once we started making connections with people and inviting them into a community, in your case, it's Discord. In somebody else's case, it might be a Facebook group or it might be Telegram or Signal. How do you recommend people kind of cultivate that community, right? Because it's one thing to have a follower on a social platform, but it's another thing to to truly develop community. So any tips on that? I think the key that a lot of people get wrong, and I think this is the case for community-driven companies rather than community-first companies, is they think about their community as an acquisition channel. And if you're coming with that mentality, you're not going to be able to build the community vibes that get a community to stay together and drive that word of mouth acquisition and brand. What that really means is community members need to know each other personally for you to be able to build a community. Like when I think about an audience, it's you asymmetrically, you know, saying to your audience, like, here are my thoughts. For a community, you as a brand are trying to facilitate those experiences between members. And so what we do concretely, that's one of the reasons why we match members together with each other when they first join the community. Because our hypothesis is, if you have an onboarding call with us, right? You meet us and you're like, okay, you know, the Safari founders are cool. And then from that call, we use that call to match you with somebody that is really awesome within the community and you chat with that person. Then the third or the fourth person that might DM you from the Safari community, you're probably more likely to agree to the chat and get value from it. And that creates this circle of, you know, you meet more and more people and then it becomes a real community. Even if you're digital with each other, if you're from around the world, you know people personally, and that also makes you want to bring the people that you know personally, like your friends, your real friends, into this community as well. And I think that's really key for driving a lot of these these early community vibes is you have to ensure that the people within your community know each other personally. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of people talking in the Discord, and that's not a community. Yeah, and I'm sure there's some people thinking to themselves, oh my gosh, I have to onboard every person and all that kind of stuff. And clearly that doesn't scale at a certain point. But something I've seen in some of the communities I've part of is that they have the stage, you know, inside of Discord, which I think you use, and they have like weekly conversations where anybody can come up and talk, right? And 
while that's still a lot of people in the audience passively receiving information, it feels communal, almost like Twitter spaces feels communal because anybody can come up and talk, right? And you at least develop some sort of affinity with the people that are regularly up there sharing insights and, of course, the people behind the program. And I would imagine that offers something close. What's your thoughts on something like that? I'm just curious. We actually do both. So we do do both the onboarding calls, the matching, and then we also do that. So we'll have a welcome call for every batch where the primary thing is just to get as many people coming up on stage and sharing a little bit about their journey and what they're working on. And that also creates you know, natural connections between members that are like, oh, that's interesting, that project, or like, they have an interesting background to mine. And people also directly say that too, like, Michael might come up on stage and say like, yeah, well, my like backgrounds in social media, etc. Somebody next person comes on stage, oh, my background is also in social media. And then I but I do this other thing now. So there are like, even indirect potential connections and affinities that created get created by having multiple people share. And a lot of the times we'll also do popcorn in, you know, for, for a normal like lecture, like have a few people introduce themselves and talk about themselves before you can like kick off the program to get people to know each other in that way beyond just the, the individual speakers. A lot of it as well is thinking about all the different opportunities that you can create connections between people beyond just, you know, like one to many programming. You have a background as a growth marketer, and there's probably growth marketers listening right now. And the big question they're thinking of is scale. How do you scale something like this? Because it doesn't sound very scalable. <laughs> well, I'd say a couple of things. One, you know, if you think about a, a business like Safari's, we're a B2B business, right? And B2B businesses only need hundreds, thousands of high quality connections and relationships to at scale, right? Like AppsFlyer, when we look at you know, they have 10,000 customers. And you might say that's a lot of customers, but you can also say there are community builders out there that can build 500 relationships with 500 companies. And that is, could be more impactful than 25 person sales team, right? So I think that there is like varying degrees of scale. And there are some people that are absolute superhumans. Like I look towards Jeff, who, Jeff Kaufman, who's the founder of the Jump community, which is a community of web three marketers and brand agencies. And he, his claim to fame is he said that he's had 700 of these onboarding calls in the last year. So he's met 700 wow. people that are web two marketers transitioning into web three. And I'm one of them. I, I fully believe it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that there's evidence right there. That's very powerful. If you can get that kind of reach. And when I think about community building, another way to think about it for your business or for yourself is it's high quality networking at scale, right? Jeff is now going to be the most, it's probably the most well-known Web3 marketer out there for that type of you know persona in this world today. You know, uh, I'm thinking creatively with you right now, and I'm thinking to myself, you could scale this if you train other people in the community to do this, right? And then they start doing it and they train other people. You do train the trainer kind of concept, right? Have you given that any thought? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely possible. I think that at this point in time, it may not be necessary for you, but, but for someone like, let's imagine a world where it's not as tiny as it is right now. Right. I mean, that's the only viable growth. I would imagine you'd have to have more people do this over time. Right. I mean, yes, for sure. I think that's the interesting thing too, right? Like how many relationships does your average salesperson build in a year? 
you could probably through this channel build more relationships than an average salesperson trying to like do calls outbound to people can drive. It's all coming inbound. And you can build very successful strategies around that. And when I think about, you know, for us it's still at this point in time, and Jeff probably feels the same, which is why he's doing this crazy thing at scale for him, is that value really accrues to dot connectors in every industry. And the more people and relationships that you build makes you the best person. Like Jeff could be the best Web3 marketer in the world, but I think that he is actually infinitely more valuable if he's the Web3 marketer that knows all the Web3 marketers in the world, which is probably where he's at today, right? Yeah. I mean, I I agree with you. There's an incentive for me to want to continue to be the person that builds relationships with other growth leaders to scale. Folks, what I love about Justin is Justin is practicing what he's preaching. I mean, literally you are doing exactly what we're talking about. You know, you're building a business on the back of a community intentionally. A lot of times in the web two world, people build the community quote unquote, because they blow up on TikTok or YouTube and they call that their community and then they figure out how to make a business out of it. What I love about what you're doing, Justin, is you're deliberately building relationships in a private gated space and you are nurturing those relationships and gathering insights so that you can develop what you're going to be developing this attribution tool. And I think Kevin Rose kind of did the same thing with Proof Collective, which is the whole reason Moonbirds blew up. You know what I mean? He developed a community of artists and a community of builders inside of Web3, really, really nurtured those people. And then when Moonbirds came out, it was like an overnight success, quote unquote, right? And this is a powerful business model. And it's not completely foreign to web too. It's just not done. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that that's, I think that's really the thing, right? Like a lot of web two successful businesses start in the same way. If you really think about it, right. They find 10 to 20 customers and they spend a ton of time with them and they really go all in on trying to figure out all their needs and building for their needs. And then at some point in time, they get like way too far away from their customers and somebody else comes in and disrupts them. And so I think that if you stay intentional about building this community from the get-go over the long term, trying to provide them value in multiple ways, that gives you a lot more staying power as a business because you have that, that early vibe of like, you're really focused on trying to provide these people value and you just keep people doing that over time. I think that, that this will create very resilient businesses that, that don't have the same kind of effects that Web2 businesses did. Yeah. And the, the key downside to this is it is time, obviously. Right. I mean, like there's a runway if you don't have funding, right. And you're bootstrapping this thing, you can only do this for so long. That's where you've got to layer in obviously strategies. That's where some people are going to be selling NFTs for membership to their community and so on and so forth. But I love this. I think your strategy is brilliant. Justin, if people want to follow you on the socials, what's your preferred platform? It sounds like it might be Twitter. And then if people want to check out the Safari club, where do you want to send them? They can follow me there on LinkedIn or on Twitter. LinkedIn is my hash is Justin Dash Vogel. And then also on Twitter, I still have my carryover from being a non. So it's J K E Y underscore E T H, jkey.e. For those listening to the podcast, V O G E L, Justin Vogel. Now, as far as finding Safari Club, spell that out for everybody too, where they have to go for that. So they can either check out a product or join the community by going to safari.club. So that's S-A-F-A-R-Y dot 
C-L-U-B. Yeah. And obviously not everyone's going to get in. So it sounds like there's an application process, right? There is an application process. Yeah. So if you don't get in, at least follow Justin on Twitter or connect with him on LinkedIn. Justin Vogel, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. We're really better because of it. Thanks. It was really fun. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash W52. For those that are longtime listeners, it used to be C and then the number, but that was when we were called the Crypto Business Podcast. And now that we're called the Web3 Business Podcast, we're using W. So again, socialmediaexaminer.com slash W52. A little side note, if you go backwards in time, you're going to have to remember to use the C and not the W. All right. Well, hey, if you're new to the show, follow us. And also, would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Web3 Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may Web3 continue to change your world. The Web3 Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. The information provided in the Web3 Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.